Okay, last week we started a new series uh, on knowing God, a transforming experience. So I want to kind of just to set the, the focus again where we were last week, just to kind of go back to John 17, the only definition in the Bible of what eternal life is. It's not about going to heaven. It's about, let's see what Jesus says. John 17, verse 3. Jesus says, and this is in his prayer, now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now that is a, you could spend, we could spend the rest just unpacking that verse. Jesus just radically wipes out every concept of religion, about duty, and, and about someday faith, that I'll get to go to heaven and, and, you know, no. He says, now you can know what eternal life is. Now you can have a relationship with the living God. Now that is mind boggling. You know, to, to, to describe it by all the wows of what God could make. And, and uh, the Bible says, eye has not seen nor ear heard the things that God's prepared for us. But, you know, Jesus said, no, 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 it's not about a place it's about a person, knowing a person, the creator, the true God. Now, this morning, we're going to talk about seeing God. Now, most of us will not see him with these phys physical eyes in this life, uh, but you can still see him with the eyes of your heart. And we often uh, sing a song. It's a Bible verse as well, but open the eyes of my heart, Lord. And, and this morning, that's our prayer, is if you're going to know God, You've got to learn to see God. And when you see God, you've got to learn to worship him as you see him. Now, we're going to go to the Old Testament in just a moment. But I want you to look in chapter 12 of the Gospel of John. And I want to set the stage because John, the writer of the Gospel, makes this incredible, bold statement that Jesus had to have revealed to him. There's no other way he could have known it. But it's in the context where uh, uh, John has been quoting, uh, explaining why people didn't follow Jesus. They rejected him. And he quotes out of the prophet Isaiah, uh, chapter 53, verse 1. Then he quotes chapter 6 of the book of Isaiah about people having hard hearts and rejecting the Lord and, and that God leaves them, gives them to their hard hearts if that's what they choose. So he's been talking about the prophet Isaiah. And who's a famous prophet in the Old Testament, 66 chapters uh, in the book of Isaiah. And they're just full of all kinds of wonderful, wonderful things. But I, wanna, I want you to see a, a game changer verse that will radically change how you can read the Old Testament. It's kind of like we're going to read backwards this morning. We're going to go back to the future, if you will. And uh, I, uh, John chapter 12, John says this, verse 41. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus's glory and spoke about Jesus. Now, that may seem to us like no big deal, but we're talking seven, eight, nine hundred years before Christ was born. John says Isaiah had this encounter with God, but it was Jesus that he saw. And this will change when you see Jesus. If you can see John as he writes this, thinking of the Jesus that he knew standing there in his one robe, uh, one garment, humble garment. 
Uh, if Jesus was in a crowd, no one said, look, that's Jesus. Because he's taller than everybody. He's more handsome than everybody. No, he just looked normal. There was nothing about Jesus that made you go, wow, that's Jesus. What he did, what he said, how he lived, how he acted, that was the radical. Jesus said it this way, if you've seen me, you've seen God. So if you're going to know God, you know God through the son who he sent. And he began that mission even before he came to planet earth. So let's go to the Old Testament, what he's referring to, Isaiah chapter 6. This is Isaiah's call to the ministry. This is his encounter with God. Now, I'm going to go out on the limb and say most of us will never have any kind of experience like Isaiah had. But we can all have similar experiences in our understanding and our grasping of who this God is that we want to know. If we're going to know God, then we've got to know God according to truth, according to his word. And so Isaiah has this this encounter. Now, he puts it in context. When I journal, which I, you know, I can't make anybody do it, but it's, it's, it's one of the most important disciplines that I've ever had in my spiritual life. And when I journal and I read a scripture and I write what I feel God's talking to me, I always put in context of what is going on in my world. One sentence that might describe it. Had a phone call from a friend last night worrying about his health. So I put that in context for my journaling this morning. And because I talked to a friend last night, and I'm worried about him. And so, uh, and, and I just, it just reminds me, just got back from trap, whatever. Uh, uh, it, it's it's a granddaughter's birthday today. Uh, put that in there. So uh, we're having party time. So, you know, I put in context. So what, what, as God's speaking to me, it's in that context. So Isaiah does this in a dramatic way. Because in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, he says, in the year that King Uzziah died. Now, let me just say this. This isn't just history. He's not just stating a fact. He's stating a context of what's going on in the nation. You'd have to back read this, which you, if you have cross-references in your Bible, it'll take you to Chronicles uh, chapter 26. And he was one of the greatest kings of Israel. Prospered 52 years he was the king. But in that ruling, at the end of his life, this little thing came into his head that said, you know, you're the king. You can do anything you want to do. Well, that's not true. And it came into his mind, you know what? I don't get to go into the temple like the priests do, and I'm going to go into the temple. And, you know, I'm the king. They're just lowly priests. And so he went in the temple. He decided to grab this, this incense and took coals off the altar. And the priests come freaking out, running in. No, 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 king. You can't do that. He was filled with rage. He flung the sacred items off the incense, which we're going to see this in a minute. And all of a sudden, boom, leprosy struck him. Skin just, who I don't know. what He knew it. They knew it. They were like, ah. And he, they didn't have to force him out. He ran out, spent the remainder of his days isolated from everybody with a horrible disease as he wasted away and he died in this horrible state. So this, was, this was a 9-11 
for Isaiah. This was, this was September 28th, 19, or 19, 2022. Uh, and if you don't know what that date is, we're going to celebrate it in a year. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, the year uh, anniversary on October the 1st that God's been gracious to us. And, and I get it that there, there's one looming out there and just pray the mercy of God on it, that it dissipates and moves quickly and, and doesn't, cause, uh, doesn't cause harm. But, but when 9-11 happened, I knew exactly where I was. I was where I am every Tuesday with a group of men in the, in the gap, and we were praying. And we got the word uh, about the, the first tower being hit. And it was, it was radical. I'm sure all of you that are old enough to remember, you know where you were. That was our Pearl Harbor. Uh, that was our December 7th. That was our kind of a, a in, the, in the year that 9-11 happened. You know, we were, we were it, it rocked us. And, and I did something that, that I've learned to do over the years. That part of knowing God is God talks to you about you before he talks to you about anybody else. So if you're one of those people that are always hearing God, what other people ought to be doing, you're probably missing what he wants to say to you. I got alone with God and I said, God, what does September 11th mean to me? And the Lord said very clearly, he said, you don't care about the world. And you know, I've learned over the years also in knowing God is that you can argue with him all you want, but you'll never win. And he's a terrible, terrible negotiator because it's his way or the highway. And so you can whine and moan and complain and try to make a defense. But the reality is if God says you don't care about something, you don't care about it. And he said, you just care about this church and your own personal security. And I asked the Lord, what do I do? And he said, first, you need to repent. And I asked him to forgive me. For I didn't care about Iraq back then or Afghanistan. I didn't pray for those countries. I prayed that they'd bomb them. You know, I, 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 didn't, I didn't have a a heart for the nations the way God wanted me. And so God began to talk to my wife and I about going to the nations. And since then, it's affected our life greatly. So for me, in the year of 9-11, I saw the Lord in a new way in my life. Well, Isaiah's going to have this experience. He's going to have a life-changing experience. Get it? Remember, though, from what we read in John, everything we read here, he's seeing Jesus. That's a game changer. When you see the meek and lowly Jesus sitting on this throne right here. You realize that when Christ came to teach us about God, he knows because he is equal with the Father. And everything you can say about Jesus, you can say about the Father. And so this is Jesus that Isaiah is going to encounter. So I want you to go with me in this, this seeing God experience that Isaiah has. Chapter 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, he could have been depressed, discouraged, disillusioned. He's been my king for 52 years, and he failed, as every politician will at some point. And humans are humans, and they're going to act like humans. And in this moment, he's going to realize that the true king will never fail and never let him down. And he says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying. And, another, and, and as they were calling one to the other, Holy! 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 Is the Lord all 
mighty. You should write Jesus there in your Bible. It'll change how you see this. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Now, this is, this is an otherworldly encounter. This is Isaiah. He went to the temple, but all of a sudden, the temple in heaven has invaded the temple in earth. He's seeing something far greater than what Solomon built in the temple. He's having this encounter with one king being dead and another king that'll never die. One king that failed and died of leprosy, another king that will never fail and never let him down. He's getting his eyes off the death of Uzziah and he's lifted his eyes onto King Jesus. Now, what are some characteristics that you can learn from who God is from seeing Jesus here on the throne? I think the first one is that he is on a throne and he's sitting down. In fact, Several thousand years later, John, that wrote the book of Revelation, sees the same throne in John chapter 4, or the, I mean, excuse me, not John, but book of Revelation chapter 4, he sees the same throne and the same Jesus seated on that throne, ruling over all. When you want to know God, if you don't start with him on the throne, you're not going to get things right. Because you don't, Isaiah didn't see God on the throne and then Isaiah sitting beside him telling him how to do it. Most of us, we have our own kingdom. We have our own rulership. Maybe it's just our own little world, our own little ego, our own little will. But we make our will more important than God's will. Part of knowing God is who God is and who he isn't. Who God is and I'm not. He is, I'm not. Isaiah's getting this encounter with, you're not properly oriented if you think you're the one that's calling the shots. Do you think that? Part of seeing God is that you're not calling. Now, you might be calling the shots if you're that unwise that you want your will, not his. I don't want my will even when I want it. Amen? That was a good point to say amen right there. So let me help you. When I suggest that, this side kind of got it. This side, not so much. When, when God shows us he's in charge, that shouldn't be threatening. But you know, that threatens people. That's why worship's so hard for people. Because worship is about someone else. It's not about, now we make it about us. How quickly in church life. I think when I first started going to church, desperate for Jesus, I went to every church that would let me come in the door. I mean, and every church I went to, I'd come to the front and try to get prayer. I came to the front of churches that didn't pray for people. And the priest would be like, what, what, what do you need? So we, we've already had communion. I said, I need prayer. He's like, we don't do that. I said, what do you mean don't do that? I need prayer. I want someone to pray for me. And I, it would just, you want to freak out or go to a, I won't name the type of churches, but, and, and just go up front and say, you know, I just need some prayer. Will somebody pray for me? And it, it's sad. I, I mean, you know, I mean how, how, how so many churches that never lay hands on anybody, they don't, they don't pray and ask the Holy Spirit to come. And, and he, what, a, what a sad representation of God that he can't reach his hand out through his people and pray. So I went to every church I could go to. 
I didn't care what color they were. I didn't care what style it was. I didn't care if they sang hymns. I didn't care if they had a band. I didn't care. I just wanted God. Now, the older I got, I got picky. I don't like that. And now, you know, the organ, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the hymn book, blah, blah, blah. You know, and I want this, and I want this. And we become just this, you know, little worship tasters. You know, I like, you know, the guitar's a little loud. And, uh, drum, I don't know about drums in the German. And so it would stop being about God. The question should never be at the end of worship, did you enjoy it? Did you meet God? That's our heart. If you met the band, so what? Well, they're pretty good, you know. They were pretty that was not going to change you. If, to be wowed by a band or to be, you met the preacher. Oh, well, big deal. Deal. But did you meet Jesus? See, that change, that's the game changer. That we, we don't want to come and do a show. Now, we don't want to be sloppy and they practice. And, but it's not a, that's why, you know, I don't mind. I get it. You know, we clap at the end of songs sometimes. And, but that's not really what they're looking for. And that's not, I, we, if we're going to applaud something, it's the greatness of God. Amen? Amen. Better on that one. You're better on that. We want to make it, but, but just know this, and it's just draw a circle, and you're in that circle. All of us make church about us after about a few months of going to the church. It becomes about you, what you want, how you like it, what you, now again, I know there could be huge things that we do that maybe you don't like and you don't connect with, and so you've got to go find another church. I mean, that's that's life. There's, there's other options, but, but, you, but, but here's the question you should ask yourself, which is, did going to church make a difference in my walk with God today? Did in, in worship, did something happen? Did I see the Lord in any new way? Or is it just the same old, same old? Isaiah had a fresh, fresh encounter. He saw this throne, then he saw these weird creatures, I don't know. That's the only place they're found in the Bible. There's other beings called cherubims and there's angels. And all, but God's a God of variety. And he just made these to hang around the throne. Two of them, they've they got six, three pairs of wings. And two of them, they cover their eyes because God's too holy to look at. Two of them, they cover their feet. And two of them, they fly with. That's weird. But God likes it. You know, he didn't check with us. I mean, he just, these are, these are what's their purpose? They sing day and night, forever. They're still hollering. Now, they're called the four living creatures. I, they're probably different. I don't know. But in the book of Revelation, the same three, holy, 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 day and night. They, and they never get bored. You know why they never get bored? Every time one over here shouts, holy, they just saw something new about God. And then another one saw something and went, holy. And then another one saw something and went, Holy! And then back in, now they're all, I mean, it's, you say, well, that would get old. No, because he'll never get old. They're seeing things about a God that they'll never see all there is to know about God. They're just celebrating who he is and calling him holy. Now, holy doesn't mean just sterile and he's pure, yes, but it means he's otherly. He's, he's beyond the best that you could imagine. This is Jesus. He's holy, but he's accessible. He's humble. 
He's kind. So these angels, it shakes the, you know, the place is shaken. I just, you know, I'm like, God, why not do that just once a year? Just once a year, shake the church. Wouldn't that good? Would that hurt anything? I mean, it would make it a lot easier to lead worship, preaching, their attention, those that are planning their afternoon, and all of a sudden the, sh- the place shakes, smoke fills the room. You hear, holy, holy, holy. I mean, come on, that happened, but we just don't see it. It takes faith to know that it, God is up to something far more than we can smell, feel, or see. But worship is about seeing something new in God. It's not novelty. It's, God, you're amazing. Think about Jesus with all these different terms. He's exalted. He's high and lifted up. He's on a throne. He's the Lord God Almighty. His glory fills the whole earth. I mean, this is just makes me want to go back and read about Jesus in the New Testament and say, wow. Why didn't you come like this, Jesus, where the train of your robe, which a king's robe, filled, it was so big in the temple, that's all I, you could just see the, it's just his robe. Jesus walked around just a simple garment, but it was just as glorious if you had eyes to see. Now, what's happening to Isaiah with all this going on? He's like, I'm going to go write a book. I'm going to go tell the story. I've been to heaven. I've seen the glory of God. I've, I'm going to write a book, you know, 30 seconds in heaven or 30 minutes in heaven or whatever. No, this is, this is where, and I know I bothered some people last week, and I don't mind bothering you if it makes you think a little bit. So he doesn't, he doesn't sound like heaven was going to be all that great. And that's not the point. It's not the greatness of heaven. It's the greatness of the God that made heaven. And you'll get stuck on what he made, get to who he is. And Isaiah's not worrying about, he's not even worrying about the seraphim. He's not going, wow, wow, six wings, amazing. They're nothing. They're gnats flying around that can say holy compared to the God that they're worshiping. What does Isaiah do? Don't miss this. It's pivotal in learning to know God and having a transformed experience. He encounters God, and in verse 5, he says, woe to me. The word woe is almost, it's almost like he's, he's not cursing himself, but he's like, I'm, I'm just, I'm destroyed. In fact, the next word he says, I, I cried, I'm ruined. I love the old King James says, I'm undone. I'm undone. I'm dismantled. I, I'm melting. I'm melting. I mean, he, now, don't see this as something bad. He's not complaining here. He's repenting. He's seen God in a way that he'd never known God. And then he saw himself in a way that he never really saw himself. Because you can't really see who you are till you first see who God is. When you see who God is, then you look at yourself in a different way. Now, this isn't self-condemnation. That kills worship. When the enemy comes in and you go to worship and the enemy tells you nine reasons why God doesn't want to hear you sing. Isaiah is seeing things about his life that are not pleasing to God, not because God screamed at him, not because because God told him that he was a horrible sinner, but he just saw that God was amazing and pure 
and above everything. And all of a sudden, he started thinking about his language and how he talked. He's like, you know, I, I, I've, got a, I've got a mouth that doesn't honor God. And again, he's not just talking about words here. Because you can have, you can, you can not cuss and have bad language, as in dishonest, arrogant, misleading, slanderous, condemning. Those are cussing, okay? To God, saying something slanderous about another person is worse than the F-bomb. Though everybody here would just go unglued and lose your mind if I use the F-word. But if I got up here and slandered some leader or slandered the, some, you know, it, no, no, it, it, Isaiah says, I'm, I'm, I'm undone. He said, I've got, I got a mouth that's, that's, that's not, I, I, I shouldn't even be speaking praises because look what he says. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips, verse 5. I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, Jesus, seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And again, this is not God saying, you're a bad man. This is Isaiah saying, God, you deserve better from me than what you're getting. I can't change me, though, Lord. See, this is where the devil will point out your sins to make you pull away from God. Jesus will point out your sins so he can cleanse them. Whenever your sins are put in your face without the remedy of Jesus, it's not Jesus. When you know God, you know his character is not a condemner. He's not an accuser to say, you're a bad person. I'm not going to tell you what's bad about you. You've got to figure out what's bad about you. You figure that out, and then maybe we'll have a relationship. God's really clear pointing out what Isaiah needed to work on. Now, God not only pointed it out, but he pointed out the remedy. Look what happens. I love this. This is my favorite part of the story. Because if you left it there, he's just kind of beat down. He's just kind of... I'm unworthy, okay? I'm humbled, okay? But if you stay there, you're defeated. That's not what God wants. All of a sudden, verse 6, one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal. In other words, it's burning. A live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, This has touched your lips. Your guilt is gone. Your sin has been atoned for. Can somebody say hallelujah? I mean, come on, that's good stuff. You go from, ah, my no, oh my goodness, I live with it, to, I'm clean, I'm healed, I'm forgiven. I'm what? That's the power. That's why Jesus is seated at this throne. Because that coal represents Jesus. Fast forward the tape, projected into the future. He dies on the cross. His glory, he's still ruling on the throne, but now he's on the cross. And his blood, the power of his blood, can wash away every, the vilest sin. You know know the sins his hot coal won't wash away? You know the sins he won't cleanse and he won't forgive? They're the ones that don't ask and don't receive. The reason Isaiah got clean is that he didn't push away the coal when it came to his lips. And I'm, did it sting a little? I'm going to say yes, but it stung good. It was, a, it was a 
healing pain. It was a all of a sudden, just purity came down his body. What does that feel like to be clean, forgiven, to stand and lift your head without shame? Not because you've never done anything wrong, but because he's forgiven you. That's this message of knowing God. If you only know his greatness, you only know him sitting on the throne, you only know holy, holy, holy. The seraphims were singing, mercy, mercy, mercy. If you only get one, if you just get mercy, 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 and there's no holy, there's no knowing God, there's things that God doesn't like, there's things that are against his nature and his being. You may say, oh, he's a God of love, but he's holy. And there are things in our lives that he doesn't like, and he's got the prerogative to pick. We don't get to say, these sins are acceptable. These are not. God wants his people cleansed and whole. So here's a question. When's the last time you were worshiping God and you had some encounter, some awareness, some sense, some gentle whisper, some just eyes of your heart, and you realize there's something about me that God wants to work on? That's not evil. That's healing. That's worship. Worship changes us. Worship molds us. It's not just a passive, yeah, whatever, yeah, yeah. Mercy drops around, man, okay, yeah. And it, it, it's about the living God deserves my worship. The living God deserves my praise, however I can get it to him. Whatever style it comes in. He likes every style. He likes organ music and hymns. He, I knew that. I knew that, Pastor. I get it. Is, is our style's not better than anybody else's. It's not a better style. It's just our style. You've got to have a style. If you don't have a style, you're everything. And if you try to be everything, you're nothing. Okay, we're going to do a hymn, and we're going to go from a hymn, and we're going to have a reading. After we do the reading, we're going to have some really good rock and roll, love Jesus music. Then we're going to go from rock and roll Jesus music to silent contemplation. And we're going to go from silent contemplation to we're going to go to joyful celebration. We've got the flags wavers out, and the dancers are coming out, and the thing, and the tambourines are coming down the aisle. And then we're going to blow the shofar horn, and then we're going to end with, I want to know what love is. Anyway, so some of you know that backstory. You can read about it in the book. I want to know what love is. God bless her. Anyway, none of that, well, not none of that, but a lot of that's fine. But you got to know who you are. So as a church, what we're going to do is we're going to have a, a little extended time of waiting on the Lord and just give God ourselves in a fresh way. Well, I came in late, so I wouldn't have to do that. Now you're going to do the, you messed it all up on me. Now I've got to have to be in worship a little longer. Yes, you are. You're going to get stretched a little bit, but that's a good thing. I'll never forget years ago, lifetime ago, you know, we were just babies to Jesus. We were married and just trying to figure it out. And we, we just lived our life just going to worship events. And that's not a bad thing to do. They're a little different nowadays. I'm not knocking when bands come into town and some of them are really good, but these were sacred times. We'd go out and just, it was a big giant field and right out of Orlando, and there was these big tents they'd put up, and we'd have people lead worship. We didn't know who they were. They were nobodies. 
and they would just lead worship. Now, there were some bigger names, love song that you saw in the movie. We got to hear them and Chuck Gerard and singing sometimes hallelujah and, and just, but, but we were in this tent. It was probably a, a bigger than this room, as big, packed, standing room only. Uh, and there was probably a thousand in the tent. And the leader just said, we're going to wait on the Lord and just be silent. He interrupted worship and, and uh, he said, let's just, I just feel like the Lord wants us to wait. And Christians lose their mind in silence. They just do. It's like, what? What? It's quiet. What do I do? They lose their mind. Turn something on. Give me some background music. It's, I can hear people cough, breathing. I can hear the person behind me breathing. Quiet is scary. But we got quiet. And in the back of the tent, someone broke out. And, and all they did was say, no music. They just, they broke out with, he touched me. And that's all they said. And in unison, like we practiced it for weeks, the entire tent, which we all knew the song. It wouldn't go over so good here, so don't try it this morning. Because half the people would go, huh, never heard that one. So this group all knew he touched me. And when the, the, the person in the back broke out with, he touched me, the whole tent went, Oh, he touched me, and it was gone. We just, uh, this wave of the Spirit came in. We started singing spontaneously, just waiting. And all of a sudden, my quiet wife, who I'd never heard holler, all of a sudden I heard her go, "Woo!" And I mean, about that loud. You know, it, it, and in her mind, she screamed. They heard her three-tenths over, and but what I, later I asked her afterwards, and we didn't know where to put this. She didn't know where to put it. But as she was standing there and she heard that, he touched me. And if you know the rest of the lyrics, is, and, and um, uh, anyway, it's gone out of my mind now. It doesn't matter. Uh, something happened, and now I know he touched me and made me whole. Well, she felt this outpouring of hot oil, warm, warm, hot, get warm. From her head, just began to run down her skin. Her, it was, it, did you feel it inside or outside? Both outside her body. And it just, and it ran all the way down to, the, to her feet. Now we know now that the Lord was anointing her to preach his word, to lead. Back then we had no place to put that because we didn't think women could do that. God didn't seem to mind. He didn't check with us. And so in that moment of worship, She's come back to that experience over and over again. She saw God in a different way that would anoint his. She didn't ever feel like she was important enough that God would single her out out of a thousand people and put his warm anointing oil on her. Do you believe that God loves you like that? See, God wants to break those lies out of your mind that you're not important to him. God wants you to see in his greatness you're important to him. God saw one man, Isaiah. He's not better than anybody. He's not smarter than anybody. He's obviously got a foul mouth, and he's, which represented other things in his life, and he needed a touch from God. God touched him so that Isaiah could go on and write about the glory of Jesus. And God touched Kim a lifetime ago, and she's been telling people about Jesus ever since. Could you allow God space to do whatever he wants? She didn't go in there going, I'm going to tell God he's going to anoint me with some fresh oil today. You know, no, you just say, God, I want to see you in a fresh way. 
I want to know you better. Now, here's the deal. Here's the deal. You can't let God show you something and then not surrender, not say yes, not repent, not, not you. You can, but you're going to miss what God has if you don't go after it. If you don't say, yes, Lord, do that. Yes, Lord, I need to forgive that person. Lord, I need to trust you in that circumstance. When you see God high on a throne, I remember getting the call from my dad that he was dying of cancer and he had months to live. And I went to Isaiah 6. And I went and got alone with God in the woods. And, and in the year that my dad died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. He's still king in the midst of our pain. He's still in charge in the midst of our anxieties. He still loves us in the midst of our failures. Go get another coal. He's got plenty of coals to go around. Except he takes them personally. And he puts them to your lips. Maybe you'll feel that in worship. You'll just feel a cleansing. Whew. Yes, Lord. Yes. Let it come. Let it come.